Hey guys, what's going on? Hope you're ready for episode 7 of Mets Maniacs coming at you fast. Me and Uncle Mike break down the absolute shitstorm that was this week. A lot of stuff happened, so bear with us. Uh, you know, we, we cover the terrible week that it was to be a New York Mets fan. We feel your pain. Um, it's great for venting. Please listen in. Uh, I mentioned at the end of the podcast too, but uh, please follow our Twitter at MetsManiac2. Um, Give us anything you want to cover, or uh, you can just grieve with us. That's totally fine. We want to hear uh, what you want to say about the show. We want to get more fan engagement as well. So anything you want to say, just pop over to our Twitter, or you can also shoot us an email at MetsManiacs at gmail.com. That's, sorry, it's WeAreMetsManiacs at gmail.com. That's W-E-A-R-E, MetsManiacs at gmail.com. So we touch on all the important shit. Give it a good listen. This week, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to give you guys two episodes, one on Thursday, the off day, and another on Sunday, like we did today. Uh, we're going to try to follow that format moving forward because there's just always so much to cover with the Mets. So uh, keep, it, keep it tuned for that moving forward. Uh, look out for that. Uh, I'm just going to give a brief touch on what makes this podcast possible, and then I'll get on the phone with Mike, and we'll get to the meat of the podcast. Take care. One moment, please. Mike, how you doing? Hanging in there, baby, by a thread. We got a lot of talk about. A lot of talk about, baby. Um, this was just a, um, this was a tumultuous week through and through, every way you look at it, man. Um, I think because there's just so much going on, let's let's just overview it at the macro level. We'll dive in a little deeper um, for the specific games where it makes sense to, and then we'll just finish with the big news uh, that we just learned today. Um, yeah, and try to end on a positive note if that's possible, but uh, there's, there's really not a lot of reason to be optimistic right now. But let's just start with the Mets record since last Sunday. They played eight games, and they went two and six. Um, they have dropped their last five now with the loss today on Sunday against the Braves, 4-0 loss. Um, Mike, maybe let's just take this. I guess it, it was it was really frustrating um, watching this past week of play. We'll take that last game in the Braves series on Sunday. We lose 14-1. to <laughs> um, At the time, it's the worst loss of the season, but we just get creamed. We're not hitting. Obviously, we can't pitch. That's just a tough loss that'll happen during the season. I don't really – I wasn't necessarily disappointed with the way the team – like, I was definitely disappointed about it, but it wasn't, like, a heartbreaking loss. It's just sometimes you get beat bad. That's the game of baseball. Um, and then we opened up against the Red Sox in Fenway. Bats come alive, right? We win on Monday, 7-4. We live on. We went on Tuesday, eight to three, fifteen runs in two days. Um, you saw a lot of good things. Um, I guess what's your mindset at this point? At Tuesday of last week, just went two two in a row. Bats come alive. You see Waka pitch. He looks good. You know what are you? Where's your mindset with the Mets? Where are you thinking we at at that point? I think I tweeted it out. Uh, Sunday was that terrible loss coming off that Saturday heartbreaker, and then you turn around, put up 15 runs of offense on Monday, Tuesday, and we have a race on the on the mound for Wednesday's game. 
uh, the first game back at City against the Red Sox, and you expect, hey, you know, we're three and two right now. We had some two, we had two brutal losses. One was heart wrenching, and the other was just getting completely blown out. But we, it seems like we settled in. The offense was clicking. Guys out of the bullpen looked pretty good. I mean, obviously, you didn't like to have to use uh, Lugo in that seven four game on Monday night, but other than that, everything looked good. It looked like a Mets team that was poised to continue this offense. You had your best pitcher on the mound, hopefully to go six or seven, similar to what he did all of last year. Uh, and Degrom start Wednesday was even bad. He gave up he gave up that Christian Vasquez home run, two run home run, uh, and went six innings. And then uh, Nimmo and Jimenez, Nimmo's home run ties the game. Jimenez's triple gives Degrom the uh, the the uh, option to uh, get that win. Actually, uh, he was the pitcher of record with the win before that seventh inning. But yeah, I mean. Flashback to Wednesday, and this is three and two, and you're incredibly optimistic. Right, um, right, and, and and to bring up Jimenez too, I like to, he he's a uh, he's one positive point for the Mets over this week. Um, I think he looks really exciting. I think he looks good offensively too and defensively. He flashed some leather. Uh, I think he's very quick, very mobile, deft um, over at second base. I think you know, thinking long term for the Mets, I'd really like to have him there. Him and Rosario up the middle, that would look good. Um, as you mentioned, you know, he had that huge triple um, in Wednesday's game, I think, scoring Cano. Um, came at a monumental time for the Mets. And then that Wednesday, too, to that point, to me, was such a disheartening loss, you know, because we had the lead. Again, with, it was DeGrom pitching. Uh, he, he gave you a great performance. You know, uh, he only left up two runs through six innings pitched. Um, we're winning three to two going into the seventh, bottom of the seventh. We let up a run. Boston scores three in the eighth. We score one in the ninth or the one in the eighth rather as well. But we go to the ninth and they're up six to four. We get more runners on the bases. And this has really been our Achilles heel this entire week. You know, yes, there's been poor pitching, but we're getting hits. We're just leaving so many guys on base. So Wednesday, too, you put up five runs, but you get 15 hits. You're stranding so many runners on. You're hitting into a lot of double plays. You can't just – you can't bring the guys in. I really thought we were going to get that win, too, because we were so close. We had the lead even in this game. And in the uh, top of the ninth, this is, right, you have J.D. Davis hit that ball through the hole. You think that it could tie the game. Uh, I'm not sure who it was who made the play in the Red Sox. I believe it was the third baseman. Made a great play. Um, stopped it from going in the outfield, probably saved the game, saved the, you know, we, we couldn't get the runner in. We would have tied the game at that point, you know, um, end up losing it. Uh, really tough, you know, just considering what happened the past couple of days. Like, yes, um, we beat the Red Sox twice in Fenway. Now we go to home, and you think that we have the advantage with our ace on the mound. Um, so just, just tough to see that outcome. It's especially tough, too, because Lugo gave up the home run in the seventh inning, which is not like Lugo. Then Justin Wilson had his probably worst uh, appearance as a Met, giving up three in the eighth, just absolutely brutal. Uh, again, we get killed by the shift. Uh, Vasquez puts one between first and first and second. Alonzo, or, yeah, Alonzo's nowhere to be found. Uh, just awfully brutal. And that ninth inning, load him up, no outs. Then you get Conforto, strikeout, you get J.D. Davis has that rope down third base. Devers makes that incredible play just to keep it in the infield. Uh, and then you get back-to-back 
the Cespedes strikeout was brutal, and then the Cano. Mm. I thought the Cano ball was falling. It was a nice little bleeder, but uh, Jose Peraza made a nice play. Brutal. I'd rather they went down one, two, three, then than to get my hooks up like that. Right. Also, right. what you're forgetting was... is that that Wednesday game, Pete Alonso went four for four with four singles. That's right. Yes, he did go four for four, and I did forget about that. Uh, yeah, the contact was there. It, it looked great. Um, definitely love seeing that out of Pete. If you remember, too, last year in the beginning of the year, his approach was very much contact-oriented before he kind of shifted um, to a more power approach. Not saying he's doing the same this year. Obviously, we saw that you know huge home run off his bat uh, earlier on in the week, but uh, always good to see Pete rack up hits, uh, especially early in the season. If he can just focus on getting his bat on the ball, he's just so powerful. You know, if he gets any sort of lift or a good swing on a ball, even towards the end of the bat, this guy can send it out any part of the ballpark. So always a, a good sign. Um, anyways, Mike, so then we jump to – the next game, Thursday, we dropped this one four two. Um, you know, still like the pitching performance from Matt. He wasn't as sharp the first time around. He goes five and a third, gives you three earned runs, walks two batters. Um, honestly, yeah, he just gave up those two home runs. You know, um, still like what I see out of him. I think he's filling in nicely as the second slot for Stroman. You like to see him, you know, go uh, a little deeper into the game, but okay with his performance. Just another issue of the Mets. Um, you know, not being able to put enough runs on the board, especially when the Red Sox, you know, I, I've seen some good guys come out of their, their bullpen uh, a couple, but they're starting pitching. And, and these are guys who are coming from the Detroit Tigers. Some of these pitchers who are just not, you know, coming from good teams, you, you'd expect us to eat on them like we did the previous two games. So, you know, what, what did you see in this one on Thursday at all? Or did you see anything different that kind of like, you know, made the offense shift or just more of the same with leaving runners on, especially in two outs in scoring position. I think uh, going back to that match point, I think match pitched a, another really great game. He gave up two home runs to the same guy, Christian Vasquez, who uh, torched us mm-hmm. the night before when he hit the home run off Lugo. Mm-hmm. Vasquez absolutely ate in city field this past week. Uh, but yeah, again, it's the offense. I mean, Red Sox starting pitcher on Thursday is Martin Perez. who so got torched by the uh, Orioles game two of the season. And it's the, Orioles are torching this guy. There's no way the right. Mets offense shouldn't be doing the same thing. Uh, Perez pitched really well. I think he went six. Or, he went six innings. He gave up the two runs, but the Mets just kept leaving guys on base. Couldn't find the big hit. Whether it was Conforto again, had a really tough day at the dish. Uh, like in those clutch spots, Cespedes' approach has been nothing short of awful to this point. Uh, and that was before Cano. Cano was starting to heat up, but that was when the lineup was kind of in a weird spot where Cano wasn't, didn't have the ability to drive runs in yet. Right. Um, something interesting there, too, is Jeff McNeil. Uh, in this game, too, he made a throwing error for his fourth error of the season. And a guy who always looked more shorthanded, definitely a competent player. Uh, both sides of the ball, you know, is a utility guy. He can play a bunch of different positions. Obviously very athletic. Uh, are you surprised that he's struggling defensively this year? Do you think that could be just some rust? at the third base position, or what do you think's going on with him? He didn't play much third base last year. He played mostly second and right. Uh, and he's kind of he's kind of said it, that he doesn't feel comfortable with his throw. He thinks that throw is a little far for him. His ball typically tails. He probably grips it with a little bit of a two-seam form, so it's going to tail into the runner. That's what That was his biggest fear was. He actually told the first baseman on any backhand at third base, he's going to bounce it because he doesn't think that he could – 
thrown accurate throw if it was on the line. He's got a strong enough arm. We've seen him make crazy plays last year in right field. But he just doesn't I, – I don't think he feels comfortable. I think, obviously, the hot corner is closer, more, uh, less time to react than he had last year at second. I think he's going to take a little bit of time to get used to. But as you saw, Luis Rojas was kind of quick to pull him. Uh, he When he was making the defensive replacements, and even on Friday's game, he started Andres Jimenez at third base and had McNeil move to second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I think I think I'm okay with that for now and in the shortened season. I think uh, Jimenez, you also saw make that dazzling play and a liner hit to him, which again was really exciting. Uh, I really like the guy. I think he could do well in the Mets. I think he's well liked. Although it's very early in the organization, uh, you know, I I'm I'm bullish on him right now. But uh, I think also kind of what happened with Rosario, he struggled uh, defensively last year early on in the season. Uh, I think in a longer season too. I mean, obviously too. You know, he's really the only option that we had to play shortstop. Keep him there. Uh, his defense got a lot better. Um, so I think the same would happen with Jeff McNeil. I'm not really worried there, but it's definitely something to acknowledge, to point out that he's been struggling at the position. Um, but let's honestly dive into the shitty stuff right now, and um, there's there's a lot. Um, the next game, we're talking about Friday, last day of July, 31st. Um, this this was the toughest loss. This was the toughest loss of last week for me. Um, so, bats come alive, uh, which is great. You know, you got Purcell on the mound. He gives you four innings, lets up three earned runs. You know, still not great. I'll take that from Porcello. Honestly, four or five innings, three earned runs, that's fine. Much better than his last performance, even though he still walked three batters. Uh, he struck out five, let up five hits. Um, again, four runs scored against him, only three were earned. Um, you had errors by J.D. Davis and Robbie Cano, but anyways, bats come alive. You got J.D. Davis hitting a home run. Cano hits a home run, looking good. Rosario hits that one right down the line that squeaked out. Um, you know, you, you look great. The score, it is, what, 10 to 5 going into the sixth inning. Uh, break score run, okay, 10-6. Um, let's see. Mike, do you know what happened in the eighth inning? Um, we can try to just walk you through this. So, right, we're up 10-5 heading into the bottom of the eighth. Um, we, sorry, we're up 10-5, 10-6, one of the two. 10-6. Um, yeah, 10-6, sorry. 10-6 going to the bottom of the eighth. We got Patances on the mound, right? He walks the guy, blows a couple singles. So runners are on second and third right now. He falls behind Freddie Freeman, 3-0. And he just throws that absolutely wild pitch at Freddie's back foot. Um, runner scores from third. Wasn't anywhere near the plate. So, at that point, um, his, also his velocity was down, too. That's something Rojas commented on after the game. Hopefully, we can build it back up. Uh, he looked a little erratic. Definitely, you know, um, you need him to get better for this team, and you just can't have potentials coming on and walking two batters, throwing wild pitches. He ends up at stat line with four and runs, but the worst part by far is Lugo comes on, our best reliever, no doubt about it. He walks Ozuna, uh, gets a fly out, and then he's facing none other than Travis Darnell on the Braves. Base is loaded, and he throws a slider low in the middle of the plate. Travis lines it into right center, and all three runners score. It's 11 to 10 Braves. That ends up being the final, right? All four, four runs total are charged to Patances. Uh, um, the fact that it was Darno too, like you just get such a horrible feeling when you get blown out from a former player, best reliever on the mound, up five runs going into the inning, 
and you blow the game. Um, this one, we had a very similar game actually against the Nationals last year that Diaz blew. Um, I think we still had 10 runs in that game. It might have been yeah. 10 to 5 as well, and it we, just it'd be lost. You know, there's really no other way to put it. But um, I want to hear your thoughts on this, though, especially with Travis. Again, I have no ill will towards him, but this is another player that comes back. You know, it's too small of a sample size to say he eats against the Mets, but in this situation, so huge, great pitcher, he delivers. Um, what are you thinking? I think that whole eighth inning was terrible. I think Rojas left the table. I wanted to give up at this point. It, it was yeah. At, at this point, it was. Uh, I mean, we were texting each other a little behind the scenes action. You know, we text each other when we watch the game. Mike's up in New Jersey. I'm down in DC right now, and um, we were we were pissed. Um, it it was our emotions were uh, were, were going through the roof. Definitely unstable on my end. But um, sorry, I'm gonna let you finish the rest of your thoughts. But yeah, holy shit, man. <laughs> You had a feeling it was coming. The wheels were falling off. Rojas challenges two calls within, like, three pitches. Both were questionable calls. Both stand against the Mets. Uh, and then that Darno at bat, the 1-0 pitch was a slider that was in the strike zone. It's in the K zone, everything. Wilson Ramos does a very poor job of framing it. It's called the ball, so it's 2-0. So, obviously, Darno there is looking for a pitch that's in the strike zone, 2-0. He doesn't think Lugo's going to try to pitch around him with the bases loaded. Uh, just drills one to center. Then you have Cordell fielding the ball. He slips in center, allowing Ozuna to score from first. Because the ball was, it wasn't a hard-hit ball that like went to the wall or hit off the wall. It was well-placed in the gap. But Cordell falls and slips. Ozuna scores from first. And you just know. You knew as soon as – I knew as soon as that 1-0 pitch was called the ball when it was really in the strike zone – that they're is about to do some damage, and it's just such a shitty thing because it's it you can't really ask more from your offense. They put up ten runs. Porcello didn't have a great start, but Chase and Sharif came on, pitched the lights out the fifth and sixth inning, gave up one run. If you're going to the bottom of the eighth of ten six, you have to expect to win that game. And for Luis Rojas to keep the chances out there in a game where the Mets have to win. Because you you don't you have a walk of the game after and your rookie pitcher on Sunday, so the next two starts aren't guaranteed by any means. You have to pull out all the stops. I think he brought Lugo in too late into a situation that obviously is not favorable for him. And even if Lugo has to get a four out save, I think that's a really tough situation to bring him in. I think you bring Lugo in after probably Batances throws that wild pitch and it's ten seven. Uh, just a really, really tough situation for the Mets right there, and even tougher for the Mets fans who are just sitting there watching this entire team unravel right before our eyes, and just completely sickening to to kind of correlate that to the uh, national seven-run ninth inning last year when Kurt Suzuki walked it off. Isn't it such an odd mixture of disbelief and, of course, that fucking happens with the Mets? You know what I mean? It's like there's no way you could blow this lead right now, but at the same time you're like, of course this happens, you know, that's, that's just, it's terrible and it's a toxic attitude, but like with the Mets, it just feels cyclical, especially in 2019. It's just too much deja vu with our bullpen blowing games late. I mean, that was our Achilles heel. Again, we've touched on this in the podcast. That's what really prevented us from going to the postseason in 2019. If you run the numbers, the amount of games we blew, um, it was in the teens, you know, and we win those games, especially the run we made, um, you know, in, in, in August this team could be uh, in postseason. If you're doing this again this year where every game, you know, is that much more vital to your success, you just, you can't throw away these games. There's already, 
in my mind, there's been four games, this, at least four games. Conservatively, there's been four games that we should have won that we blew, you know. And that's the difference from us being in first place in the NL East than our current place in last. Again, the standings are wonky because the Phillies and the Marlins have still been suspended. You know, that's another thing with coronavirus. We, we don't know about the status of the season still. So, um, you know, uh, we're, we're still in last. But, again, the Marlins and the Phillies, and we played three games. But we'll touch on that coronavirus news in a sec. Mike, I just want to wrap up first the weekly review of the games, and then we'll get into the bigger news. Um, but, yeah, you can't really say anything else about that game. Horrible loss. Been there before. Um this one is different to me than the 14-1 to game against the Braves. You lose 14-1, to I think you can get fired up as a team, you know, get a chip on your shoulder, get a little pissed off, come in there with a little extra the next day, you know, uh, with something to prove, which I think they did. The bats came alive. We scored 15 runs in two days against the Red Sox. In this way, as the offense, it is just so deflating to put up 10 runs for your team and then have the bullpen come in and blow it and then, you know, come right back out to play again. I, I think it's just hard to keep the bats when you did everything you could do, you know. So I, I think for the morale of the team, and it's such a momentum killer. Um, but anyways, so we lose that game. Um, we go into Saturday, August 1st. Um, we lose 1-7 to seven against the Braves. Um, offense here, non-existent. You know, I think, what was it? We left 11 uh, runners on. I think the only run we scored this game is on a sack fly, if I remember correctly. Uh, same yeah, kind of story, Cano. though. Robbie Cano, right? And, and to be fair, too, you know, Robbie Cano's bat has been better. And I've publicly <laughs> criticized the guy, and, you know, he's got one of the hottest bats on the Mets right now. I hope he keeps that going. Uh, we'll see what happens. But, again, right, one run, six hits. It's not like we had too many guys in – we did have runners in scoring position in this game, but, you know, we only had six hits. Braves score seven. Um, unfortunate to see Waka come in. He looked so strong and confident against the Red Sox. Uh, he seemed all over the place, especially early. He seemed to kind of, you know, pick it up in the last two. He only won four. But, um, you know, hopefully he can figure that out because he really did look great against the Red Sox. I loved uh, his pitches. I loved his control. Command looked great. The positive spot from this game, I'll say, is Killerman came on and, you know, he looked, he looked good. He let up two earned runs. He had a, you know, he let up a homer. Uh, but he struck out five. I thought his command looked good. Like, I was very satisfied with his start. Um, you know, he went four innings. So, uh, I, I think he's somebody to monitor moving forward who could be a real asset to this team. 63 pitches through four. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this game or something that popped out to you? No, I I would agree. Franklin Killamet looked really good. Young off Tommy John, six six, big kid. Can I think he'll be able to eat up innings? I think his spot is in the bullpen for the for the future of the Mets. But it's good to see at least he kind of got that uh got that monkey off his back with his uh one of his first MLB appearances. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think a good spot to bring him in too, right? Uh, Stay so low. That game got away from us early. Um, the Braves scored a bunch of runs early on against Waka. Uh, and our bastards weren't there to pick it up. So uh, I think it was a good move on Rojas' part, you know, throw him in, see what he can do. I think he, you know, um, showed his worth. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, but anyways, so we lose again, right? That's that four, four straight losses in a row now. And we jumped today, Sunday's game, played an afternoon game. 
pick up another loss. So just to, you know, it's tough, again, because you can't directly equate the season, the 162-game normal season, to the shortened 60-game season, but a five-game losing streak roughly correlates to about a 13- or 14-game losing streak in a 60-game season, um, or in a 162-game season, that is, right? So, you know, that's really bad. And the flip side of that, of course, is that you win a couple games, it goes both ways. It's You know, you could be on a 10-game winning streak with a couple of wins, so we can definitely bounce back. But like I said earlier, we can't be throwing away games. This game, it didn't go – we didn't throw it away. The bats still weren't there. We did have 10 hits, though, you know, so it's still annoying. Again, you get Peterson on the mound. I think he looks good. You know, I, I think – and, Mike, this is something that I see from the kid, which I love a lot, similar to DeGrom. Now, of course, not as masterful as DeGrom, but Peterson will get himself in trouble. You know, you saw the Braves had the bases loaded at one point in the game, uh, and he's facing good hitters on the Braves. You know, he's going up against guys like Freeman, Acuna, the top of the order when the bases were loaded. And he did great with damage control. We had two runs scored, um, but the game wasn't blown open. And he was able to settle down after that. And he went six innings, um, you know, allows three earned runs. And he actually struck out eight uh, over 87 pitches. So I think he did great. Um, Satisfied with his job. I think he puts your team in a position to win. Um, Again, we had the bats. We got the hits. Team runners in scoring position today, one for 15. We leave 13 runners on base. So this weekend, Saturday and Sunday combined, we leave 24 runners on base. Okay, 13 today, one for 15. You know, again, Cano, um, look, he got another hit today. He also hit in another double play. Again, um, I'm a little harsh on the guy, but, like, the amount of double plays I've seen this guy hit into is astonishing. Like, I feel like whenever we have a little bit of momentum, he rolls over a ball, you know, inning ends, um, real momentum killer. What uh, and against you know these Red Sox pitcher like you got the starting pitcher right right he he walks four batters through three and a third you know like a guy that you can definitely jump on he gives up five hits but we can't drive anybody in um what do you what do you got for me here I I guess too if you want to touch on it we should we should talk about the news that happened before this game started um because that's unavoidable. If you want to delve into that, be my guest, and I'll uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll harbor my emotions for a bit and then let them go in a bit. So around uh, 12.30, we have Gary, Ron, Keith, and every Mets beat writer uh, say that Johannes Cespedes, Brody Van Reikman has said Johannes Cespedes has not re- reported to the ballpark and nobody has heard from him. Uh, and that went on for about two <laughs> hours before a secondary report came up that the Mets have no reason to fear for his safety. Uh, which is the most vague report ever, where it's, if you don't know where this guy is, how do you know you don't have to fear for his safety? Uh, we find out after the game that Jonas Espinosa has opted out for the rest of the 2020 season, uh, which I guess, realistically, given how murky the news was at 12.30 today, that was probably that's the best-case scenario. Jonas uh, Espinosa is in good health, uh, and Jonas Espinosa, like, there's nothing to worry about. Jonas Espinosa has gone. He hasn't officially. He hasn't actually gotten this end. Uh I mean, Espinosa had two two home runs this year. Uh, his approach to the plate was not great. Uh, actually, I think I tweeted yesterday. He's had the worst approach to the plate I've ever seen. Uh, the, <laughs> at bats, he just he just looked like he couldn't recognize the pitches. Uh, he swung at a lot of pitches that weren't strikes. He. Uh, 
He's, he just swung at at every pitch that was thrown to him. If a, if a ball crossed the strike zone, then you know, Jonas Espinosa at bat, even regardless of where it ended up, Jonas Espinosa was swinging at it. Uh, really not inspiring at bats from him. Uh, so I wish him the best. Uh, this is the final year of his Mets contract. It does suck because Espinosa was a pivotal player in that 2015 World Series run and 2016 mm-hmm. even making to the playoffs. Uh, so it does suck to see his tenure at the Mets go down and go away like this. Uh, I don't think it had like I don't think Cespedes is a selfish player. I just don't think it was going to work out this year. I don't think that he was ready to see major league pitching after being out for the better half of the last two years. Uh, I wish him luck in the future. I hope he can kind of tag along with the team next year. But uh, I think that does open up the DH spot for somebody for a guy like Dom Smith. Dom Smith's been great this year. Uh, he has I think he's tied for the team lead in RBIs, and he started, like, two games. Uh, right. Smith's been, Smith's been great. And it also opens up the possibility of, hey, why don't we DH uh, Robbins Cano and get Andres Jimenez some reps at third base, put McNeil back to his comfortable position at second, and we have an infield that's actually a viable infield right now that can actually you can depend on. Uh, I think it does open up a lot of space. I think the sets for the at-bats were left a lot to be desired, and – I think at the end of the day, it will help the Mets develop past this year. Right. I, uh, you know, I, I think that's a really good point too, with uh, the option of DH Cano and then have uh, Jimenez come to the lineup, play second base. I think that's great. I think that was kind of in the Mets plans, possibly for 2021, when in all likelihood you wouldn't have Cespedes anyways, right? Um, that's a great route to go. I think Cano would be okay with that too. And I, I think that really does help out our team. Um, you know, having a great infield, especially if you want to move it around to um, uh, with, with Dom Smith coming into DH, you know, like you said, he's among the Mets leaders in RBIs. I think he's looked great at the plate. So I think having came in over Cespedes actually gives us an advantage. Um, here's the thing though with Cespedes, it's still a developing story. So there's a lot of things we don't know, but as of this moment, you know, I, I recently read that um, part of this, this might not be a COVID thing. And I don't want to speak out of turn here, and we'll, we'll know what's going on uh, moving forward. Uh, what we might do another episode midweek to go into this in more depth once the facts are out there. But I was reading from the Mets that apparently Cespedes was scared that and upset, and he thought that Mets management was limiting his at-bats so he would miss out on lucrative perform- performance bonuses that he could only really get, right, if he was given enough at-bats through the season. And so, if you know – I go either way on this, Mike. I'm with you. If he, if he is doing this for COVID concerns, you know, of course I'm happy that he's okay. And, you know, he had a great run with the, the Mets in 2015. But if this comes out that the latter reason is why he skipped out, I think it tarnishes his entire reputation with the Mets. I am 100% against this guy. You know, um, if I, I can't fathom his rationale behind that, you know, because we're playing a bunch of games in a row. You're coming off you know, uh, heel surgeries, you haven't played in two years, you know, like, it's tough to have you in the lineup a lot. I can't blame Rojas for that. And that's what Rojas said in a comment that he was just managing his reps. You know, this was in line, you know, with, with, with what we should do. And if it comes down to it as well, it's not like your performance has warranted more playing time, okay? And I talk about Cespedes as being a binary player in terms of the strikeout and home run when it comes up to the dish. This year, that hasn't even been the case. Uh, okay, he's at 31 at-bats. Yes, he's gotten you two home runs. He's also struck out 15 times. He's batting 161. His on-base percentage is 235. We don't need this guy. You know, I, I think, like, 
at the plate, he still looks like a force, and he swings so hard. And he's, he's had big home runs for us, and those two came in a good spot, um, especially the one on opening day. But, you know, I – first off, even if it is coronavirus-related, I think he should 100% get criticism for the way he handled it. You know, you don't just tell anybody that, that – that's what makes me think that this is contract-related, you know. Um, you don't just tell anybody you're not coming to the ballpark, skip out. We have to send a team to your hotel who then realizes that you're not there. It makes the mess look like a shitty organization because they can't keep track of their players. When in reality, I don't even blame the Mets. You know, I blame Cespedes because they can't micromanage their players, okay? You got to be an adult. You're a professional athlete, you know? You got to come. You got to give everything you have, you know, for this job. And for him just to not say anything, it seemed like he stormed off because he was upset. And this is what the reports are saying now. Again, he just stressed that they're very new. Seemed like the guy's very angry, just decides to leave, and his agent is left to respond with this, you know, shit storm after that nobody knows how to respond to. That being said, I think Rojas and Brody did an amazing job. Even in Brody's press conference, he said that, okay, it's not likely, right, that we'll have Cespedes in the future, but I still want to keep contact lines open with him. I think you're really being the bigger man. Um, But I also, on the flip side, if it comes out that this was the real reason Cespedes left, and we might never know, you know, because I don't think Cespedes, once he calms down, you know, I don't think he would ever tell us the real reason. If, If that was true, right, um, that he was upset about potentially not getting enough bats to uh, add bats to get the bonuses on his contract. Um, I think it's just easier to go the COVID route and be like, screw it, I'm opting out, peace, like he did. So, you know, we'll see what happens, man. But it's just not a way you you do that. You know, there's no other – even players who were really pissed off about um, playing this season, um, they handled – uh, opting out in a mature way. They told management, they had public statements that this is, you know, what's good for their family and whatnot. And they didn't do so before a game, you know, when nobody knows what's going on. That's really a fuck you to your teammates. You know, it's just like, who do you, and, and again, I'm working myself up here, but who do you think you are not to come to a game when you're batting 161, you struck out 15 times, <laughs> and you're complaining that you're not getting put in the lineup? Are you kidding me? Take off your chain, man, okay? Like, what who and, and that's and now you think some other team's gonna take a risk on you, you know, after you have your incident at the ranch, you come back here, you just don't show up, you don't reply to anybody's phone calls, you skedaddle. Yeah, what are you gonna do in the future? You're pissed that you're not gonna earn enough money right now. So you're going off this eight game stat line in the coronavirus season. Maybe he's gone, man. Maybe he wants to do something else, whatever. But um yeah, I mean I'll let you speak because I've been kinda hogging this but you know again bottom line if that's if that's what happened i say fuck him because it's you got to grow up uh i don't want a guy like that on our team so i think it's actually a positive you know this i think right now at least you know you know it's funny i think in a normal season we might hit rock bottom at the end of may that's kind of what happened last year end of may early june maybe even late june last year so maybe we're on time on balance for that still but shit happened like, so early in this season, right? What are we, 10 games played? So, hopefully, you can't get any lower than this, right? You just blew a, a huge game, 11 to 10, losing to the Braves. Seth Lugo, we went through all that shit. You already blew uh, at least four games you wish you should have won. You get Cespedes. You don't know where the fuck he is. He's gone. Um, hopefully, it can only go up from here. So, we'll see how the team rebounds. But uh, what, do you, what do you think about all that? I just 
throughout. So I'm scrolling through Twitter right now. There's two different reports. One's from Jacob Resnick with The Athletic saying that uh, Cespedes has a family member at home who has a pre- pre-existing uh, condition that would put him at risk for coronavirus. So, And with the way he's mm. handled coronavirus thus far, he's uh, that's why he decided to opt out. And then there's a second report from Bob Nightingale uh, with USA Today. And Bob Nightingale says, Jonas Cespedes was disgruntled, according to one of the Mets players. So you don't know if this is based off performance. I mean, realistically, Luis Rojas gave him opportunities. You said he had 31 at-bats. I think he had a little bit more. I think 31 just registered at-bats, but I think he walked a couple times, and I know he got hit by a pitch. Uh, so he he probably – I think he played in eight of the ten games. There's not much more you can ask for. You're coming off a heel surgery. You're only running at 80%. I mean, it's not like you're giving your full percent. Any You're capable of giving full percent anyway. There's people who are riding the bench right now who are performing better than you are. Like I said, I don't if – he, if he truly left uh, the Mets for coronavirus reasons, you can't blame him. I mean, obviously, with the pandemic going on, nothing's normal right now. But if you he still left – You can, uh, though. You, you can. You can you blame can him for the way he did it. For the way he reacted, man. Because, you know, like me and you and people listening, you know, we got jobs. We got jobs, too. Coronavirus is an issue. If you don't want to go to work, if you're a blue-collar worker, right, and you don't got to work because you got a serious issue with your family member, you know, like – you call into work and you tell them, hey, I can't come in, okay? Coronavirus isn't just like an instant, like, boom, it's going to, I got to run right now. I can't get my phone. Like, holy shit, got to go to Anti. You know, like, I, like, you have the time to reach out to your boss. Could you imagine if me or you just took off today and said, nah, mm, coronavirus, man, <laughs> too much. I, I can't take it. I'm not, I'm not going to call in. I'll handle it later. Like, nobody can do that. You, I, in, in my mind, I feel like there's more to this. Like, I heard that tweet, and that's bullshit, right? Yes, I'm not saying it's bullshit that he is somebody who's at risk at home. I hope they're doing okay, of course. Um, but the fact that there's no reason why you can't respond to the Mets. So there has to be something here that he is disgruntled, and he's using this as a guide. Maybe he was thinking anyways, like, all right, you know, I, I can't really get paid or whatnot, and, like, I'm pissed at him, and I have to take care of, like, somebody in my family, and I'm concerned about this. Sure, like, is it, does he have, like, is, it, is that person living with him? Like, there's just so many question marks. And now where is he going? To the person? Like, is he going to go back home, like, where this at-risk person is? Like, it doesn't add up to me, man. So, I, I think it's a, you, like, I think I know. it how they want. It, it has to be he's yeah, disgruntled with Brody Van Wagenen. You remember Brody Van Wagenen used to be Cespedes' agent. Cespedes signs that four-year, $110 million extension with the Mets. And then all of a sudden, Van Wagenen pulls out all these stops this past year and essentially is the contract becomes a $2 million contract when he's supposed to get about $25 million. So, But can you blame him, though? Like, phone of, come on. But like, uh, Brody, Brody? no, you can't. I mean, the guy goes can't to a ranch, Brody, has an but... incident with a wild boar. It's like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, there's only so much <laughs> I can do here. And you got to show me you can hit after you break both your heels. Like, what are you thinking? Like, I think, I honestly, and I saw for a while, like, we know Cespedes is a swaggering player. Like, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of machismo with the guy, right? Like, he's standoffish. Like, the way he's got the chain, he pops it, he's got swagger when he runs and whatnot. You're not hot shit anymore, man. you got to realize that. And I don't think he's able to be humbled, you know? So, it's like, good luck thinking New York's going to forgive you. I think people are going to smell this as bullshit. You know, I, I really don't think this excuse is going to pass. Again, like, I think if there was a serious issue, 
you can definitely reach out. I, like you see Lorenzo Cain did it. He came out in just a great mature manner, a very professional way. And he said, Hey, like I was very transparent with the organization and there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously no one can blame him. He goes out, same thing with uh, Diaz and the Marlins second baseman, all the other players too, that we saw, I don't think there was anything of this, you know, magnitude. There's, there's nothing to do with Corona as well that like, prompt that kind of thing unless he was like operating on someone in his family he's like shit i got no time like no dude that didn't happen you have the time reach out to your organization hard line on that can't forgive him and and we'll see as the facts come out but like as i'm thinking it through and reading twitter like you know there's got to be something else going on all right and let's talk about the newest addition to the new york mets billy hamilton (laughs) that's a good segue yeah um, Mike, what do you what do you think about this? I think this is good. You know, it's not really. You know, some people might be like, oh, hmm, suspicious. The Mets signed Billy Hamilton. It's Cespedes least. Cespedes is not really an outfielder for the Mets. There's two totally different players. Um, again, we have a lot of depth in outfield now. Uh, I guess I'm for it because, as I just said, the Brewers lost their starting center fielder, Lorenzo Kane. So, you know, yeah. depth is good. But what uh, what do you think? I think it's an upgrade from Cordell, but I think that's pretty much it. I think he could be a defensive replacement in the in later corner. innings in center uh, and a pinch runner. Yeah, I don't think Hamilton's going to contribute much. Uh, so, yeah, I think, like, like obviously the Mets didn't trade for him to replace you on assessment as bat in the lineup. I'd be surprised if Hamilton played, starts more than five games this year. I really would be. Uh, I, think, I, think I'm, I think I'd say the same for Brian Dozier. Uh, obviously, I'd love not to trade for him guy we trade for him Humphreys was a top 15 prospect in the Mets farm system I don't know how Brody has kind of he's done this a couple times this year where he's kind of screwed up with uh optioning players back to the camp and stuff and allowing them to become free agents same thing happened with Tyler Batchelor today forcing them uh forcing the Mets to trade him to the Pirates just so they could get something back from him that's what wound up happening with Humphreys uh Humphreys was DFA'd and uh Somebody claimed him, and as, instead of allowing him to pass through waivers, the Mets traded him for uh, Billy Hamilton instead, just to get something back. I don't know why this keeps happening. Uh, it happened, I think it happened earlier uh, this week too with another pitcher. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. But I mean, whatever. I guess it's not a huge loss. Right. Um, I guess we'll see how it pans out. I think it's too early to tell. Um, again, like. Yeah, I, I think at, at, at the time being, I guess I'm okay with the move. I don't think it's, you know, it's definitely not groundbreaking in any way. Um, I don't I don't know. Like, he could prove to be an asset. I, but, like, I'm with you on that. I don't think he gets a lot of playing time. Uh, I'd even prefer Marisnik over Billy, Billy Hamilton in center. Um, Marisnik won on the IL today, or this weekend. Right. Okay, so – Need Billy Hamilton there for a bit. Uh, no, but when when Marisna gets healthy too, I think uh, I'd rather have him in center. But right, good to have a little bit of depth. Although we do have Juan Lagares as well. Um, yeah, I guess with Cespedes down, another outfielder can't hurt. So, um, anyways, other big news too, as we kind of touched about through the podcast, is more positive COVID nineteen tests. Uh, you have the St. Louis Cardinals and the Brewers series. Um, postponed. They had, um, at least it was reported that the Cardinals had at least six uh, positive test results in their party. Um, three apparently were players on Friday and Saturday. The rest was part of the staff. 
so they've postponed those games. And from um, that announcement, that's when Lorenzo Cain of the Brewers announced that he was opting out. And also Isan Diaz from the Marlins. Um, he's the second baseman. He also announced he was opting out for the season. Huge loss for the Brewers and Lorenzo Cain, obviously. That guy is a staple of that lineup, of that entire team. Um, not so much with the Marlins and Diaz, but again, you have another player going down that just thins you out. Um, and it's always worrisome for the you know longevity of this season. We don't know yet how things look. I have a response here from Manfred. Uh, he said, we are playing. He said, the players need to be better about following the health and safety protocols. But, quote, I am not a quitter in general, and there's no reason to quit now. We have had to be fluid, but it is manageable. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, Manfred's in a really tough position. I, I think, uh, you know, he gets a lot of flack. I'm not saying I like the guy. Um, I think you have to, for the owner's sake, you have to be firm. As Manfred said, you know, we're going to try to play through this. I think if you get a ton of cases and it's just like there's a tipping point and there's no way that we can continue the season without like significantly risking the health of the players, then you have to cut it off. But for right now, I think he, he really has no other choice than to be like, hey, we're going to play until there's no way that we can keep things going. And I think a lot of coaches and owners have kind of echoed that sentiment. Um, but there's no reason to believe that this season will be completed in full. The way the Mets are playing, you're almost like, fuck it. <laughs> and just, but, uh, Mike, what, uh, what are your thoughts on this, Manfred's response? You know, do you have any opinions on what the MLB should do for this season? No, uh, I don't have any opinions on what they should do. I think it's definitely not great for baseball uh, and the future of baseball for the 2020 season. I mean, the mm. Marlins and Phillies haven't played since last Sunday. Uh, now you have the now you have uh, the Cardinals and Brewers who both could be affected. I, what I've heard is the Cardinals have more positive tests than what's been released in the media. Uh, a lot of it's mm. not good. What sounds like it's coming out of St. Louis, but it really comes down to the players. I mean. This past week, Bob Nightingale had also said that the uh, Marlins players were at a club after their last exhibition game in Atlanta, and that the uh, Cardinals players were seen at a casino. Like you have to, if you're a franchise, you have to be able to monitor your players. Those players should be suspended for the rest of the year. If you're caught outside breaking uh, quarantine protocols and hurting the game of baseball, because that's realistically what you're doing by shutting these games down. I think there's been like 36 missed games this year, and most of them are due to player stupidity. Uh, the fact that the Marlins affected the Phillies-Yankees series on top of the Marlins-Orioles uh, series is absolutely ridiculous. Those players should be fined and suspended for the rest of the season without pay because that's just complete ignorance and complete foolishness. Uh, can't stand that. That's so frustrating to me that if everybody has the same goal, these players are fucking it up just for their selfish reasons. I cannot stand that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean – the way this season is going, I do wish it gets canceled. Uh, no, I am kidding, but uh, <laughs> it has been a brutal 10-game stretch. I've taken a couple years off my life. But, uh, no, I think I think if you're going to realistically look for, at it from the Mets' point of view, the Mets have another week to kind of get kicking into right gear. If, they, if, we're, if we're talking at the end of next week, I know the Mets played six times this week, and the Mets are like five and – Mets are five and eleven. That's twenty five percent of the season's over. I think this season. I think that's pretty much a death sentence for the Mets. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And at that point, I at that point, all, all I'm concerned about is getting some of the uh, younger players more experience uh, and getting some guys back on the right ship just so they're confident for 2021. Because I don't think I don't think a five and eleven team makes the playoffs at all, even if no. even with an expanded playoffs. I don't think so either. And and, and to touch on your point too, with uh, the players needing to be better, like you know, I also agree that's bullshit that these people are out there. Um, and you know, look. Um, you know, I get it. Like, it, it, it's tough, man. But, like, if, if you committed to this season, you're ruining it for everybody else, you know. And these are – you got people like Jimenez. You got rookies who worked so hard to get this season started. Even a veteran man who's grinding his ass through summer camps to be in shape, you know, to put out his best performance for this season for somebody in a contract year, you know, and you end up ruining it for these guys, you know. Like, these are – you know, these are your fellow players. Like, you hope there's more camaraderie or just a sense to come together. Not even, you know – notwithstanding that it's a global pandemic for the rest of humanity, right. That you should try to, you know, um, follow guidelines and, and, and not go into a club, especially somewhere in Miami, you know, where we know the density of cases is so high. Uh, that's, that's crazy. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, they should definitely have harsher punishments. Um, you know, suspensions too, like fines. I agree, man. And I guess, too, yeah, if you have coronavirus, like, you can't come back for 14 days anyway, so we might as well suspend you just to, you know, say fuck you. But, um, anyways, uh, I do want to touch, too, on one thing that the MLB is doing to kind of, like, mitigate these games um, that haven't been being played. They have instituted a rule that double headers will now be seven innings instead of the full nine innings, uh, like it's done in college. Um so, you know, hopefully that will speed up some games. And obviously, they're going to need to have a lot of double headers moving forward, which I'm totally fine with. I think you have to do something when you have teams not playing for, you know, weeks plus on end. Uh, you, you need to, to speed it up so you don't get too far into the fall because there's another issue, you know, of the reemergence of cases, even though we saw a reemergence in July and the past couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the move they're doing. I, I think that's good. Um I agree with you too, Mike. I think we really got to pick it up. You know, we got upcoming. Um, we have a chance to do so. I mean, we got the Braves tomorrow, uh, 7-10 game. We played the Nationals, two-game set, Tuesday and Wednesday um, at D.C. Then Thursday, we finally get a day off. So that, I think, will be nice for all the players. And then after our day off, we'll probably get the best opponent we could play in the Marlins. I don't know yet if that game is solidified, if that's going to happen. Um, but if it does, right, you got players rested coming in, three games set. Hopefully you can right the ship a little bit. I don't think there's any reason to believe that we shouldn't be able to get within a game or if not be totally at 500 um, by the end of the week. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, Mike, uh, anything else you want to add there or throw in that I might have missed? Uh, just a couple of things I want to see this week. I need to see Wilson Ramos take better at bats. His at-bats this season have been completely uninspiring. He's 5 for 28 this year. Uh, he's grounded to a double play. Let me look up how many strikeouts he has. He has nine strikeouts this year. It's just absolutely awful. Every time he comes to the plate, I feel like he's either striking out or grounding out to the infield. Uh, I'd like to see David Peterson put on another good start. Uh, he'll probably start against the Marlins this week, so it's a much uh, further inferior, inferior opponent. I'd like to see him continue that upward trajectory he has. I'd like to see Porcello figure stuff, stuff out as well. Uh, he's got the Nationals. Uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of decent signs from this week. Uh, the bats, I'd like to see them continue hitting, and I need to see the bullpen actually pitch a game where they don't give up a run because that hasn't happened yet this week. And 
I don't know if it's mm. happened this season. It, it's been awful. I, I think besides that Braves game where it was one nothing, I think that's the only game this year the Mets bullpen hasn't given up a run. Do you think that you would, with DeGrom in their off day, in the short season, fill him in earlier against the Marlins? Like, the only downside of that is you skip Peterson start, who I'd argue, like, you know, we could get a win with Peterson pitching. But what would you do there if you're Rojas? Who do we play after the Marlins? Can you look that up? We we get the Nationals at home. After the Marlins? After the Marlins, yeah. I might give DeGrom a week of rest. What if we hear, – hear me out. This might sound insane, but what if we do this? What if we go DeGrom pitches Monday, Matt Tuesday, Porcello Wednesday, off day Thursday. We come back. We got walk against the Marlins Friday, Peterson against the Marlins Saturday, and then we throw Matt's again Sunday. And then that way we have DeGrom ready the following Monday for a much better opponent than the Florida Marlins or the Miami Marlins. That's actually a good call. I would I would like to see the Mets go that route. Um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, gets you extra want to rest. See... Max is pitching on five days still, so it's not like. I mean, obviously, I don't want to push back a Degrom start. I want him to pitch as much as he can. But like, I'd also kind of like to see Degrom pitch against a better opponent than an opponent we should be able to beat with any of our starting pitchers. Yeah, I think. Um... Because of the way the schedule is set, like, um, actually, yeah, he pitch again against the Phillies, and then we get the Marlins uh, after that. So maybe that's the route you want to take it. I don't think Rojas would take it that route, but I think that would be really interesting. No, I don't think so either. If we're being honest, but um, maybe yeah. we do that too as the season comes to to the end. Because again, um, you know, we just need to finish in the top half. So right now, at least. I don't think it matters as much that we're beating the Nationals as it would in a normal 162-game season. We just need to get wins, you know? And we, we need to get those wins up because, especially those wild-card spots, man, the seven and eight seats in the NL, it's, you know, it, as long as your record's good, like, you can you can be there. So it doesn't really matter who you beat. I think maybe it might be to your advantage to make sure you win against, um, you know, teams that are bad or teams that are worse than you like the Marlins you know, than it does to try to, like, mask somebody in the Nationals. Um, but, all right, we'll see what happens there. Um, anything else you want to say before we uh, give these guys a break? Uh, it's a big week ahead. Hopefully it's not nearly as stressful as last week. Big week behind, big week ahead. Um, let's hope it's not as uh, drama-induced. I still can't believe the whole Seth Fittis news. Um, Mike texted me too. I was, uh, I didn't see any of the reports. Uh, he was on it before me and he just said, we can't find Cespedes. Cespedes is literally missing. (laughs) I I didn't register at first when you just said Cespedes is missing. I was like, what do you mean? He's not in the lineup. Like, I just thought like, yeah, he's getting an off day or something. And then of course, look it up and it's like, nope, don't know where he is. Can't contact him. Not at the hotel. I was like, great. You know, back, uh, back at the ranch. I don't know. But Anyways, guys, uh, thanks so much for listening to us rant. Um, you know, we appreciate you guys for dealing with the Mets as we do. It affects us mentally and emotionally um, as much as it does for you, maybe even more for us. So, uh, you know, wish us the best of luck. Um, give us a follow at MetsManiacs2 on Twitter. You can also send us an email, too, at wearemetsmaniacs at gmail.com. That's W-E-A-R-E, MetsManiacs at gmail.com. 
We really want to hear your feedback, too. We'd like to uh, get different topics to discuss. You want to hear me rant more about uh, Cespedes, hear Uncle Mike maybe break down some pitching scenarios we have moving forward or anything else you guys want to bring up. Please let us know. We'd be more than happy to discuss any questions and kind of, you know, get more fan engagement with the show. As always, thanks for listening. Hope you guys have a great week. Mike, take care, baby. Have a good one.